I was on a, uh, I was on a chat to another chap uh, just recently saying, I think it's an age thing and I'm somewhere in the middle, sort of 46, that's me. I'm not, I remember when it started, but I remember also when it wasn't here. And, um, you know, it's just a weird thing to get used to. And there's always the stages and levels. People, the younger people in work are using all kinds of things that I just don't get. I don't get how they're convenient or how they're user friendly, but it just seems to make perfect sense to them. And that's it what does, we are. Yeah, it does. It's a generation gap. It really is. But yeah. uh, I've got no excuse for them. No excuse. <laughs> hey, listen, by the time you get used to this thing, there'll be something else. I'm sure. I'm sure. There'll be it's something like, else. Yeah. Well, look, I, I wanted to talk to you for, for forever. And I know we were going to talk before, but um, the year got messy and, as as with all things, life life creeps in, and you know you're the guy, you're Lyndon Adams, who photographed Bonessi in two thousand and six, and started the first website, the first and possibly only website about the creature. So yeah. tell me tell me about that. Tell me about your experience. How did you come across the creature? Where were you? How did the whole thing take place and then unfold into this obsession with the with the, the beast of um, Lake Windermere. Yeah, I mean, as far as the obsession goes, I think I sort of had to move away from that about sort of 18 months chasing this thing, which um, came to no avail. But in 2007, we'd been, uh, we dropped the kids off in the morning and we're living in Bowness and Windermere. We decided to have a, just a walk up at the top of Gummer's Howe. Now, if people aren't familiar with Gummer's Howe, it's one of the, Fells, which is adjacent to the Lake Windermere, gives you the best panoramic view. Mm. Pretty much, I would say, three quarters of the lake, uh, all the way through to the south end of the basin, pretty much uh, three quarters up to the north end of the lake. Unfortunately, when we got up to the top, the low-line mist, this was February about 2007, the mist on top of the lake uh, was probably about 70 foot high, and it just wow. stayed there for ages. And it was quite a, an eerie sight. Uh, I mean, it was thick. It slowly dissipated. It left gaps into the lake. And I just stayed at the top there and we'd taken photographs of the low-flying planes cutting across mm. the top of the lake. Um, when it started to dissipate, it was my wife at the time who pointed out, what's that in a lake? Now, where we were situated, about three kilometres to the north, diagonally, was this strange thing cutting across the mid middle of the lake. And it's probably one of the widest sections of the lake itself. To look at it, um, it possibly resembled like a horse type shaped head. I mean, I've read a lot recently, mm. uh, they've described it as a like a Labrador type head. That's mm. pretty much where we're going with this. It's, it was quite boxy looking, wide, uh, so solid looking. Um, we watched this for about five minutes before uh, we started panic and, and trying to look around for people to see if they were there to verify what we were seeing. Uh, I had a camera with a 300 mil lens. It wasn't adequate enough from that distance. I took around about 15 photographs of this, looked in the back of the viewfinder, couldn't see anything. So luckily I had a pair of binoculars with me. So we just watched this for quite some time on the top of the surface. And it was diving, coming back up, yeah. swimming around, moving, diving again. So it wasn't just a, a brief glimpse. Like mm. you probably heard of uh, things like in Loch Ness, where it was there one minute and it was disappeared. Yeah, it's often very brief though. Yeah, this, this was a good, towards maybe 10 minutes, it was wow. there in the middle of the lake. Um, so we were kind of really shocked. And um, when you're looking through binoculars and you're trying to ascertain what this is you're starting to tick off possibilities of what it could be so living there for such a long time i've lived there for 20 odd years you are aware that deer can actually swim along the lake mm. and one side to the other but this is three kilometers away it would just be a sheer dot if it was mm. a if it was a deer i mean we tried to look at other things in the area uh things like seagulls ducks geese that sort of thing just to give some kind of size. Yeah. Lake that day was like glass. I mean, it was flat, calm. The conditions were perfect. It was a sunny day, an unusual crisp 
spring morning, you could say. So I think had the conditions been any different, I'd have probably kept my mouth shut and just <laughs> experience. I, I think um, you know, the question I always ask people, you've come out and, and said something about this, like, do you wish you had kept your mouth shut? Or, or are you in that position that you, I always say to people, that regardless of what position they're in or how much it costs them, when people have an experience like this, they can't unsee what they've seen. They can't yeah, deny it uh, almost because no. it's, it's an undeniable truth to them. Exactly. I mean, what I was just going to uh, retort back with, it is what it is. I yeah. mean, the fact that those images which I took, uh, again, along with the weather being perfect, mm. uh, unusually, most of these images which you see on the websites and have been caught glimpses of something unusual, mm. some kind of uh, crypto side of things, they're generally a JPEG and kind of possibly taken off a phone. So it's quite hard to verify mm. what that actually is. However, these were taken in camera raw as well as JPEG. And that, what, that really is the, the interesting side of it because you mm. can't manipulate a raw image. Um, so, I mean, it, it did, because of the method, there was the, 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 the way of taking the photographs, it really did create quite a bit of interest with the camera company I was using. Mm. They see the actual files themselves. Uh, to verify what they wow. what they've taken, so they were one of the very first first people who took interest in the images and wanted to verify what I'd taken, and they came back and said, "Look, we can verify that they are what they are. They are a raw file which has not been manipulated in any way, shape, or form." Well, I remembered that you shared them with me. They were very, very impressive I, at distance, as you say, but still something that would be hard to to replicate yeah. in a known animal at that that distance it's, it's really hard to see what else it could have been that we know about at yeah. such a, a far distance that would make such a, a large impression it's um how would you describe the head you said this was it was the body shape was kind of square was the head a square sort of type of shape you see almost yeah. dog-like or almost horse-like and i always think when people describe these things that when we see something we can't describe, we reach to our mental library, don't we, to figure, to pull out an animal we do know that bears some resemblance but isn't a dead ringer. So was it a dead ringer for a horse or not really? You just have no. to no, say that was the closest thing I could yeah. I could match it to. It's more of a silhouette sort of shape. Yeah. That distance, you're getting, uh, you're getting, you, you're not getting any texture, no detail yeah. at all. So you're getting a, um, a kind of a fuzzy, uh, an image from that distance um it was dark that's all i could tell you it was very very dark um what was interesting was if you saw boats on the lake that day you would notice there was a wake all the way back to where it started from you mm. had no wakes apart from immediate where it had actually come up wow. one a little bit maybe sort of five meters and then dived again and then it would dissipate, the actual rings on the top of the water would dissipate, and it would pop back up again and cause a V for a very short period of time and go down. The great thing about modern-day digital cameras, everything's time-stamped. Mm. So it tells exactly how many seconds it was actually on the top of the water before the next set of photographs coming. So there was a host of information. It was a kind of, what do I do with this information? Mm. <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, the realization is that are you suggesting that there is going to be some kind of a prehistoric relic in our lake? Yeah. Am I prepared to live with this? You know, am I, yeah. am I going to say ridicule here? Do I need this in my life at all? I mean, that was the other thing is uh, I sat on it for quite some time, actually, I sat yeah. on it for quite a few days with contemplation of the, my next move here because what, it's was, your, what was your job at the time is you still well, in the same position i was a photographer so okay. i was working yeah i was working for the press at the time okay uh, so i was just out and about everywhere with my camera i never yeah. left i just got into the actual uh the industry itself so i was very very keen um so what to do with this th these set of images and believe it or not it the newspaper, my local newspaper, was not not the first to go to. So my first thing was to actually contact my local MP, really, yeah. find out whether or not 
what I'm about to do here, is this going to damage, the, you know, Bowness and Windermere, the Lake District? Is this is this detrimental? Well, the tourism, you mean? Exactly. I yeah, mean, what, yeah. what would it actually do to the area? I mean, the last thing I wanted to do was create a sensation. Yeah. If, if people were to believe what I've believed that I've seen, are we going to create some kind of uh, fishing uh, bonanza where everybody's out on the lake trying to capture this thing? Or I just didn't know which way it was going to go. So it's hard to, it's hard to say, really. And um, I mean, I suppose being in media and being a photographer, there there is at least um, some some joy in that. It's not a career in which people might dismiss you for capturing some fantastic photos. Yeah, sure. But with other witnesses, generally speaking, I would say nothing good happens to you once you come out. You know. You don't get this great. You might get attention, but it can be. It can have a real negative spin eventually, yeah, sure. uh, especially sure. locally. You know, I suppose with your reputation and and with some of the people you know, they might think you're a bit peculiar. And I, I joked to another uh, well, researcher recently. Oh, you did. <laughs> oh, you were already there. Well, I mean, if you're already, if you're already in the business, uh, why That's not right. continue as you mean to go on? Um, yeah, but it's it's a strange thing. It's a strange thing that people think, oh, you get this accolade and this attention and fame. And normally it's newspapers grab it. They make their money. Then they leave you high and dry with the reputation you've earned from claiming to see something. And perhaps a few TV programs pick it up, but maybe not. And, you know, on you go carrying it. Did, did you find that that was your experience? In a, and I've been to Lake Windermere and it's a very, also a beautiful tourist area. It also seems to have a very... Um, localized personal feel about it where people would know each other quite well it has a very strong localish background yeah. uh backbone to the actual uh, area mm. so uh, everybody knows that, that each other's business it's a very small skeleton of people actually live there mm. who are considered to be locals so when the tourists actually dissipate over the winter months mm. you're left with the local people we all know each other so uh yeah I got this straight away. <laughs> I got I got people phoning me, stopping me, and yeah. the, the number one question all the time is, "What do you think it is?" Then, yeah, you know, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, all like all I did was put it into the hands of as many people who yeah. had study those images and come back to me with possibilities. I mean, what I've tried to do from day one is present those images to to whoever wants to to do some calculations, mm. to do some work on those images, find out. I mean, one probably one of the best experiments to do with those set of images would be to actually replicate those again, stood mm. upon that mountain, looking down that lake and putting things into the water, which create those size and try and mm. replicate it. And that will give you some be... kind of idea of a size that we're looking at. Was there any way from the photos that you took, and then just trying to think back on the images now, where you could, you know, as a photographer with your expertise, guesstimate the length of the visible portion of the animal you're looking at? Well, just the, as an approximate, as a, as a sort of, you know, throwing out there guess, what, what would you say as, as to length? Well, we actually did something a little bit better than that. Um, oh. Found through digging around um, through a company called uh fixer labs which actually do with forensic photography as well and they've worked closely with the home office i asked them for advice on the set of images which i had and he put me in contact with a guy called mark carr which was based in a who was a forensic photographer um and he was also a lawyer so they worked hand in hand together <laughs> so I, I released the images to him to work out and sat with them for a good 10 days two weeks to work out as much information from those set of images. What's fascinating about those, and again, I go back to previous sort of images taken of Loch Ness and other uh, anomalies in lakes around the world. There's a lot of information in the background and foreground. Mm. And whatever I've seen is actually in the middle. So it's very easy for somebody to triangulate exactly where this is, where this is happening, mm. mark onto a grid map work out from the timestamp where it's moving to where it's pattern so this is this is very rare to do um in the background there's two boat houses and there's also a sign which is a warning sign for rocks and low and, and mm. uh, 
and depth in the in the picture. In the foreground, there's a caravan and a boat. Now the caravan is static, so you can measure that. The mm. Two houses in the background, they can be measured the distance from either side, and then work out exactly where this is and the size of it. So he came back to me and uh, with the equation, he said, look, we need to probably go and check these boat houses and work out the, the length of these because mm-hmm. we've got is a photograph here. And when we went out with the lake ward and actually physically measured this, he was a foot and a half out of distance between either boat house over a space of maybe 200 feet. So his calculations were pretty good. Now he's measured it, I think it's 12 to 14 foot is the piece wow. you see out of the water. The height of that is one meter high. Wow. Um, there was a dark pixel at the back of the actual image, only a dot. There's a dark, maybe a couple of pixels there, dark pixel. If that is part of what was seen in the picture, I think his measurement was 40 to 45 foot in length. Wow. Now, with that in mind, I know when I saw through the binoculars mm. that. And it was a lot bigger than 12 foot, that's yeah. for sure. And I couldn't tell you how long it was. I didn't see all of the body. I saw the back end thrashing around a lot more than the front. The front seemed to be quite stable and mm-hmm. uh, just pushing forward into the water, whereas all the power and movement was coming from the back. And I have actually mentioned this before. I fish, and I've fished for many years for freshwater fish. To me, it looked like it was actually feeding on the top of the surface. That's ah. exactly what it felt for me. Okay. The way it was moving around in, in not in a in a straight line. It was, it was just moving around. Paddling almost, waiting for yeah. the food to pass by. And that was in the north side of the north end of the lake, is that right? No, south. Uh, it's, that was... me. it's more ah. towards the south, yes. Okay. Which, uh, we've had sightings in the north end of the lake as yeah. well. Um I mean, when this actually went to the Westmoreland Gazette, it was the editor from the, uh, from the newspaper said, you know, we've, we've reported on this before. Mm. I, I was aware that this was actually part of, you know, this, there was a story like this previously. But I believe it was a couple of years before, or maybe 18 months before, that uh, uh, a lecturer uh, spotted this in the South End of Lake. Steve Burnett. Yeah. His experience was... Uh, quite surreal i mean what he described was like a, a large eel type sort of serpent mm. uh cutting along the top of the water but he was fairly close to it and he was adamant that what he saw was was real oh. uh, i mean i i did go to other people as well i went to um local i mean i spoke to a friend of mine who owned a hotel um called um mr noblin mm. uh <laughs> from the langdale chase hotel thomas noblin yeah. Uh, I was telling him the story and he looked at me like I had three heads <laughs> and basically told me to get out of his hotel. Then <laughs> 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 he didn't believe the story, uh, which I accept. I mean, I accept people have their opinion and so yeah. forth. But I think it was about three years later, uh, he had his own experience in the lake, which uh, when we first met again, I just laughed. I mean, I just was brilliant. The fact that you've actually had your own experience. He was swimming um, in the lake, is that right? Yeah, um, I spoke to him in depth regarding this. I mean, I, I know he likes to play up to the camera as quite a character, um, but I spoke to him in depth regarding this, and mm. both quite adamant and were quite shaken up by the whole account. Uh, I believe that he was uh, open water swimming very early hours in the morning, I think, at dawn. Uh, it's, it's the best time, it's when the, the mm. lake is at the um, and yeah, he was lifted out of the water and the boat was lifted out of the water mm. and they looked down the lake and they could see there was a weight being so yeah, it's it's um, there's something there, there's something quite interesting which needs to be investigated um, the fact that it's smaller than, than Loch Ness oh yeah uh, by but it's deep, map. it's relatively deep, Is it's over 200 feet in places is that right yeah, the um, feet about 70 yeah. meters deep, i think in the deepest part um, yeah but it's not, nowhere near as deep as Loch Ness. no i mean no but i mean you know i would imagine that any creature that was there would 
it just basically needs that 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 space to to move around and submerge. What do you think about the the River Levin connection? When I was there, I thought, well, okay, the, the River Levin leads out to the sea, but as I traced it down to the first bridge, I guess in in the river, it seemed to be very low cut. I I find it and the, the road and town is around there. I find it hard to imagine something making its way out that way. Well, it's an interesting point, Andrew, because that was one of the things that I, which came up was whether or not it's a seal got mm. into the lake or a group of seals or maybe a, a, a small whale, a pod mm. or something. Um, but you're right that there is the, uh, the, the river leading out, but it's full of man-made weirs mm. all the way up. Um, and the man-made weirs are just there as a salmon ladder. Yeah. So it allows the salmon to come in but anything bigger is just not going to manage that at all. We'd have I to think. be amphibious, essentially, in some degree to yeah. get up. And even then, with so, some difficulty, I imagine. Very much so. I mean, the other thing, which um, theory, which has been put to me um, by a senior member of the EA uh-huh. uh, in the local area, uh, is whether or not there's actually underground caverns in la- on the lake itself, which lead out to the sea or possibly to other yeah. lakes as well. So other lakes, like Lake Coniston yeah. could be connected yeah. to Lake yeah, as well. There are uh, stories in the other lakes, aren't there? I mean, um, yeah. quite a few. Um, I mean, Bassinthwaite Lake and and a few of the yeah. others. I mean, Bassinthwaite is probably one of the most fascinating uh, set of images mm. uh, I've ever seen. Is that from Rudolf Stavnis? That, um, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I believe so. in the seventies. Yes, that's yes. right. Um, yes. But nothing else has ever been cited there. Um, I mean, bizarrely, like I said, Steve Burnett's story came about after I, I I put this forward. I was told about Steve Burnett's experience, but prior to that, I'd never known anything in Lake Windermere. I mean, mm. I've skied Lake Windermere. I have family that use Lake Windermere. Constantly, they've had yachts on there. Um, I know local fishermen. No stories, but yet when I came forward with my mm. story, the amount of people, locals, who came to me then said, "Do you know okay. what? I, I've had an experience as well." I mean, one particular one, um, a well-known local in Lake Wind, uh, in Bowness and Windermere. I told him the story right at the very beginning, and he said, "That's really interesting." He said, "Because my father." was fishing at Lowood, which is at the south end of the basin, mm. um, fishing on the banks. And what he thought that day he saw was three tractor tires came huh. to the surf. And they were there for a brief second or two and then disappeared down again. And he said, I wonder, and I thought, it doesn't make any sense for it to be tractor tires. <laughs> it's got to be related to something like yeah. this. Um, you know how they are, those tractor tyres, always floating about in, in large lakes and submerging and swing, yeah, swimming about. And, um, thing. Well, look, I, what's interesting about it is, to me is that, I mean, and I only covered it in a very marginal way in my book, but there's, there's this rash of sightings that seems to pick up from 2006, going all the way up to around about 2014. And I know there's a few bits and pieces here and there after, but it, the, the ones that made the papers, I suppose, and and I don't really hear anything from the area at the moment, which brings me back to that sea connection. You know, you get these done again. It's the same in, in Lynn and Tegid, uh, Lake Bala in, in uh, North Wales. That's right. You get these occasional sightings. There's a rash for a little while, and then it just disappears completely for a couple of years. And and we're on, and it just it just makes me think: Are we looking at a sea visitor? You know, it doesn't have to be a seal; it could still be the creature. Um, yeah. But utilizing these like, these little off ramps around the British um, coasts into into our lakes, and you know, feeding off the trout and whatever else is there. Very much so. I mean, what is interesting as well, I think, is that uh, unusually. Lake Windermere and Loch Ness have Atlantic char in the yeah. lakes. Um, so obviously they're um, some left over from the island. Mm. Uh, from the island. Um, and it's a case of whether or not anything got in behind those to chase those in. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, 
I remember fishing in Weymouth at the harbour and there was small fry in Natural Harbour being chased by mackerel mm. and then the mackerel were being chased by a dolphin. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> whether or not anything's got into the lake at the same time, whether or not anything can actually live yeah. alongside. Um, but I, I mean, some of the people, influential people I spoke to was the uh, a chap from the Research and Ecological Centre on the edge of Lake Windermere. Okay. Uh, I have in the photographs uh, on my laptop before they hit the press. And he said, that's really interesting what you've actually got mm. there. And he wasn't quite shocked at what I was showing him. Mm. He was very calm and he seems to take it all in his stride. And he said, well, the actual lake uh, sediment and the, the food actually turns upside down at certain parts of the, at certain times of the year and particles mm. come to the surface. And that coincides with the time I took the photograph. Okay. And when I'm saying it's feeding, is whether or not it's on the top because the particles at that time of year has turned around. And I mean, there's a lot. The prey items that eat those particles, I suppose, they rise to the top. And I mean, yeah. I don't think one moment we've got something which is carnivorous in late Windermere because I think we'd be missing a few tourists from time to time. Uh-huh. Um, Depends. I mean, if um, depends what it's capable of eating, I suppose, um, or what it's uh, designed to eat. On on top of that, we also notice there are, you know, uh, with late monster sightings, there are um, you know, a few uh, predatory stories that, that come out, you know, even around the British Isles from from time to time. But they're very rare. It doesn't yeah. ever seem to be many attacks or or at least interest in people yeah Yeah. i mean one of the stories which i was told was uh, a research crew uh, on lake windermere and they basically uh, catalog uh, the ecology on the actual edges so they Uh they and they snorkel or scuba along the banks and one of the divers spotted something that day close into the bank and refused to ever do his job and go back into lake ever again uh so there's there's that story um one of i mentioned before about a checklist of things that possible yeah being like so I, I drew a line to all of the animals it possibly could be uh i even contemplated whether or not it was a group of otters in a in a line which is a possibility uh three or four otters but not a three kilometers away, would you ever see anything like that? It'd have to be 15 to 16 otters, maybe. I mean, that's right. That's right. Um, so I contacted the Lake Warden and spoke to him what I've seen. No, no, I hadn't spoken to him about what I've seen. What I asked him was Is it possible that somebody with a very rich toy, a very expensive mm. toy, could put something on Lake Windermere without it being registered, without it being known? Mm. And he said, no way. Because yeah. the only thing which could actually do this would be something which, which could submerge um, and pop back up again. Yeah. So I'm wondering if the, there is actually an aquatic toy, which is like a, a cockpit, which they can dive okay. and pop back out and it's powered. Was that, that was, in existence at that time? It or? was, yeah. It was, yeah. okay. Because yeah. that's one of the, the reasons I asked the Lake Wardens okay. whether or not they could own one of these. And he said, yeah. there's no way anybody could use one of those. Somebody would be seen putting it into the lake. Yeah. I mean, it's a, the, the entire area is visible. There's so much around, so much tourism around. Well, one of the things he actually said, which made a lot of sense, was how long do these pictures, this incident, go on for? I said about 10 minutes. If somebody spent ultra thousands, they wouldn't just play it around with it for 10 minutes. It, we'd see it throughout the day. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's know? true. And it would be like other parts of the lake as well. It would be showing off, basically. So, yeah. But what he said was, whereabouts had this occurred? And I told him, he said, now that's really intriguing. Can I come around and have a look at what you've photographed? Mm. Sure, yeah. So the Lake Warden came around to have a look. And he said, right, okay. Mm, right, yeah. Okay, fine. I said, no, you need to tell me more about the reason why you said that's interesting and why a lake warden is interested enough to come round to look at my image. And he said, well, we, a few years ago, we had a, discre- a distressed call in from the Liverpool um, Coast Guard of a guy who was up on the top of the same place I took these photographs, mm. looking down at the same bay as where I took these pictures 
and he reported to the Coast Guard that he'd seen a boat do a turn and disappeared under the water. So he was frantically phoning the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard then phoned... Ah, he thought he he witnessed the sinking. Yes, he phoned the police. Then the Coast Guard went... uh, The Lake Warden went to the site whilst the man was actually up on top of the hillside, Mm. gauging exactly where he was, where he saw this, to see if there was any debris or any wreckage or anybody there. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, he said, from a distance, if you had a naked eye without a lens with a telephoto mm. and a pair of binoculars, would you see a boat or would you see a late monster of some description? Mm. And I thought that was that was very interesting. And I wonder how many other cases uh, there has been where people have sure. and just dismissed it. Well, how many times do you hear in Nessie tales of that upturned boat? Somebody thought that an upturned boat was floating on the surface of the water until mm-hmm. it sank and That's reappeared right. somewhere else. And then suddenly their, their attention is is caught there were you know there were other you know, there were aspects to this there were there was that famous almost ribbon sort of uh, ribbon uh, humped photo from tom pickles from from the yeah. group that were kayaking on on the lake and a few other bits yeah. and pieces one of the was it in 2014 the autographer magazine uh photographer ellie williams who produced that incidental clear pleasure saw like back and, and neck image from 2014 whilst taking pictures on a time-lapse camera throughout the day well, what do you think of those, those right. well, I, evidence i don't think i've seen that photograph i really don't oh wow uh, yeah i've certainly seen tom pickles yes and i wish i could have saved the editor the time <laughs> <laughs> of printing and dealing with that because it was quite obvious i know the lake very very yeah. well where tom pickles was uh staying at a management training center i used to work mm. there and i take people out canoeing so uh-huh. i know area i know the bay the bay is very uh busy as mm. uh, a lot of people knocking around that area um and the actual angle on which he took the photograph, uh, means that it's been taken from a boat looking down rather than from a canoe. Oh. And it's very hard. There's so many, okay. so many things that aren't right about uh-huh. it. I mean, taking an iPhone out in a canoe is something which is tricky enough to do if well, you're yeah. If you're lucky to uh, stay in, yeah. With the thought of actually slipping out of the canoe, uh-huh. why would you take your phone with it? So there's many things which... I'm not right with the story. Red flags. The fact that in the bay itself, pretty much yeah. where you get the ferry, um, just screamed out, and there's something not right by that. But I will go and actually investigate the other one. I find that quite interesting. That one, I mean, I tried to get in contact with, I did get in contact with the magazine originally, and because it's it's a, it's a zoomed-in image you see in the newspapers, and it's from, from a distance. She set up the camera for, I'll look at the story here, actually. She set up the camera, I think, to be, uh, to take photos at one minute intervals throughout the entire day, she took it back home at the end of the day and reviewed the photos and saw what she thought was a swan in the in the distance and mm-hmm. zoomed in and focused on the creature and it basically looks like um for all intents and purposes you know your classic humpback pleasure soul with a swan like you know what the archetypal swan like neck sticking out of the water and mm-hmm. the shadowing and everything looks reasonably good the magazine autographer didn't really have any skin in the game uh they were testing out this new camera for sales so there's something in that perhaps um <laughs> it also seems like a, a weird play um just a very odd sort of obtuse play to sell a camera in my mind yeah. i mean it's not loch ness you'd go to loch ness to do something like that wouldn't you and i think lake windermere since it's so even amongst the local population, the knowledge of the monster seems to be quite limited. It does, seems yes. like a seems like a stretch for a magazine to use that as their um. They could have, of, of course, but it seems to me like a big stretch to say this is where we're going to fake our our lake monster photo today. That's right. Well, a, famous surgeon, a famous surgeon once did that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, in Loch Ness. So, I mean, strange things have happened in the past, but I will endeavour to, to investigate that. Incidentally, 
I spoke to many people, like I said at the very beginning of this podcast, that mm. for in months that it did stick with me and resonate with me. And it sort of drove me mad because I wanted to find out what this is. I mean, this is ridiculous. I needed to find, I need to close you almost on what we're dealing with here. Um, so I contacted the guys up at Loch Ness who do all the investigation work. Oh, yeah. Dick Rayner, I was in contact with mm. Dick Rayner quite some time um and a few of his colleagues up there and one of the uh guys i spoke to was andrew paxton okay uh, at andrew's university he deals with uh, cryptozoology mm. uh, i spoke to him and he sort of came up with us a, a, a plan of action basically for me which was to go back repeatedly i mean taking account it's not an easy trip this <laughs> at this hillside it's quite a steep uh, steep climb, especially with all the camera equipment, but to mm. go back to the same place and photograph things which are recognizable over the actual vicinity on that area and photograph anything else on Lake wow. Lumiere moves, whether it's birds, swans, canoes, people, powerboats, you name it, anything for reference for future. Uh, I did that and I came back on that, that batch of images we had a look at afterwards and there was definitely we caught something else that day in the water. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, again shot on range uh, just went down. You know, I've just realized because normally I use Skype and I yeah. do use Zoom in work, but it's a work account and I've just noticed as it went down, there's a time limit on the free account. I never knew. Uh, um, so uh, first thing I'll do when you get off this call is fix that because <laughs> I have to okay. use it again. But I, I've been using, I'm like an old timer with the Skype. We've been using the Skype for so long for these interviews that, um, yeah, it's all the same for you. It's all kind of strange. So you were just mentioning the, the photograph. Yeah. That you caught yeah. something whilst trying to replicate the conditions of the first capture uh-huh. from Gomez well, this is an interest, really interesting. I went up there with my daughter just to mm. kill some time. I had my daughter up there. She was about eight. She was quite enthusiastic with what daddy's found and whatever. Mm. So I was taking some photographs of bits and pieces on the lake. Uh, like I said, canoes, uh, birds, wildfowl. Then we could see something cutting along the top of the water, uh, underneath the water, should I say, from we're underneath where we were uh, positioned, which is Gummer's How, over mm. to where the ferries leave at Lakeside, pretty much, or YMCA, which is off to the right slightly. Mm. And it just seemed to be going quite fast underneath the water and then back again. And I thought, well, this, this is ridiculous. What's that now? And I took a series of photographs and I probably took around about 10 photographs, 10 or 12 photographs. Some of those came out and they were, they were clear that there's something through the water coming mm. on the top of the water, almost pushing through and kind of like, I mean, it's almost like kind of uh, tentacles coming out the top of the water. It's really oh. bizarre. And protruding from the top, but two of them at the top of the water. Did they look the large or um, what kind of shape and length would you say they were? Um, like this or yeah, yeah certainly curved uh sort of yeah. like going on water like that almost pushing through wow. uh, i had no idea i mean we didn't have binoculars that day i had a mm. 300 lens couldn't really see too much detail until i got back to the computer and it's on a big screen and you can really start, start to mm. zoom in and see that took about 15 to 17 odd photographs two or three of those photographs are underexposed they have they've pretty much come out black now i'm not too sure andrew if they're actually in the collection that you have it may be yeah in about i would say um three months after i taken these photographs i decided to put one of these images underexposed through photoshop or uh, the camera raw process and really lighten the image up get as much detail out of that image oh i know that one you mean yeah that's where i kind of really shocked what was in one of those images which seems to show a section of the the uh, frontal part of the body and a neck cutting through the water 
and a head coming out of the water slightly. That blew my, <laughs> blew my head. So then I started to go back through the images and realize what was actually in the background of these images. Mm. Yachts and boys, the boys themselves are stationary. They're always there. So you can go measure some of the actual boys. Some vary from two foot, some vary from three and a half foot wide. So they're always there. And then cer certain boats are there as well, constantly. So you can actually gauge the size of what we're looking at here. And it dwarfs a 20-foot boat and wow. a yacht section that you see coming out of the water. Uh, that put what I did was to take that image, overlay it, and put mm. it into the situation next to that boat. Because the picture I took, which is underexposed, you can see the two boys to the left and to the right of it. Well, the previous shot is that where those two boys are, but it's an open shot, so you can see boats in the background. Yeah. So you overlaid that so the two boys matched each other, and that gives you a size indication of what we're looking at here. Wow. And it's there's no way it's, it's anything like we've I've heard things like nothing it's, less uh, than 20 feet, basically. Exactly that. Yeah, 20 feet plus. I mean, we've heard I've heard eunuch eels uh been bantered around. I've heard whales catfish. Yeah, I mean, uh, even the largest whales catfish, the, the, the famous river in Spain, that is it Ebro or something like that, that always springs to mind. It, it they it makes world news when they get a nine footer. You know, I mean, it's or, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, if if you're looking at something 20 feet long, we don't have anything of that no. proportion in in our waters, not in our fresh water, especially in, people talk about sturgeon as well, but I mean, 20 foot is the largest possible sturgeon you can get. That's an yeah. old creature. Sturgeon yeah. are nearly extinct in our waters. That's right. You know? um, yeah, so, I mean, this is, yeah, so this is, these are all often stretches. Unikeels, they, they often grow out instead of you yeah, know, they grow. They become bigger in, in girth than length usually. So, but there's no conger eel. There's no eel in the sea. Anything close to this no, sort of length? No, not even um, a conger eel. Yeah, the closest we've got um, lengthwise to what we're looking at here, and possibly the the type of antennas which mm. I've described is coming out of the water is an oarfish. An oarfish. Oh, okay. They're very long, it, it, yes. you know, it's quite a rare fish. It doesn't pop up, mm. it doesn't sit on top of the surface too often. And obviously it's not designed for these waters. So it's No, a, oh, that type of swimming, generally speaking, they don't, I mean, they can swim that way, but they, that's not usual for them. And there's no, that wonderful silvery, yeah. uh, silvery sheen that they have. That's right. Yeah. But, but well, the, 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 um, the frontal bit was very, very similar. Mm. Wow. Something coming from the head. Did it? Uh, did it look like fibrish in that same? No, no, no. So these look something quite solid. Solid. Yeah. So perhaps something similar to the antenna that are sometimes described on, on Nessie and other lake yeah, monsters. I've never heard of that before. But yes, I mean, yeah, quite often, always looking like breathing tubes. Somebody, some some people describe them as. Oh, that's quite interesting. Yeah. Mm. The question is whether or not this is a mammal of some description, like mm. a, a whale, um, you know, some kind of a relic from the past here that we're dealing mm. with. Um, because, I mean, the history of whales uh, changes over <laughs> so much. Whether or not something's been left behind, mm. I don't know. I mean, grabbing at straws, I suppose we'll never know unless it's actually been captured, which is the unfortunate situation that you, we're all left in. Yeah, we've got to we've got to get one at least long enough to examine it, and uh, or at least have the right type of equipment to to monitor it. Let me ask your opinion on something, because I'm curious about this. I did notice there were several sightings uh, near the River Rothe at the north end of the lake, where not too far from there, there's a trout farm, and in Loch Ness, there's a correlation between uh, Inver villages, Rivermouth villages, and Nessie sightings. Lots oh. of them around those villages, and a, not my own theory, but one of that I picked up was that it, that's river mouths are, are prime feeding areas for predators because you know, the fish enter into deep water and they're suddenly exposed. Mm. And I wonder, you know, could 
could there be some correlation there too in Lake Windermere, the, the north end of the of the lake? Yeah, certainly interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, I wasn't aware there was a trout farm. I know there's one on the back. Um, yeah. Uh, Estate, I think. I know there's a trout fishery, uh, some description there. I wasn't aware there's one in the north end of the lakes towards I, Ambleside. I think it's it's past the river. I think it's further up. Ah, I see. And I think um, they often make their way through the river into the lake, uh, or at least there, there is, there's some overspill. I can't be entirely sure. It was um, it was a working theory at the time, but I just well, thought, well, look, if if that river mouth is there, it would make sense that that's a feeding point. Yeah, that's certainly interesting. Yeah. I mean, it was quite a few weird things happened to the lake at this point in time. Uh-huh. I mean, the, the the guy I spoke to from the ecological center, uh, he pointed out that the Lake Windermere hosts species which are not found in any other lake anywhere in the UK. Oh, we need to Lake Windermere. They're microscopic, but they're there. Uh-huh. So Lake Windermere is quite a rare uh, a lake itself, the makeup of it. Um, I mean, the the whole situation, what it could actually be, is we will never know. But I know that I spoke to people within the industry of uh, providing you um, the uh, ROVs to go underneath yes. the water, yeah. produce color images. Now, there's one particular uh, company could produce uh, beautiful digital color images from underneath and was oh. quite work with us and actually put the ROV in Lake Windermere for a period of time and possibly look at baiting the area mm. to try whatever it is to the actual uh that's a great idea but it needs a little bit of uh, help I mean it's it's a it's a big ask for me to try and organize all that uh it'd be great for, for somebody to do that that's kind of where I think this needs to go and needs to be looked at as a proper investigation, really. I, I've definitely had it in my mind for a long time to, to deal with underwater cams, some sonar and the rest of the business and the RVs to, to stake out the river mouths in Loch Ness or perhaps even better still, Loch Morar and places like Windermere where it's not as murky as some other lakes. Yeah. Um, I know it can be a bit murky from you know, from time to time, but still... Those to me seem to be the primary points where we could capture something. If we're talking about animals, which I believe we are, of some description, those are great feeding points. There was there would be good um, stakeouts. There'd be great yeah. stakeouts, uh, you know. And uh, I I love to do it. The equipment is always a, a big a big issue. You know, you even see with this um, eDNA study that went on in Loch Ness with Professor Gemmell. Uh, clearly, Loch Ness was chosen to get the funding to carry out their studies and prove the, the technology. That's where the money came from, you know, this massive of publicity. But it's um it's always a, a huge, it's a huge ask. And I've never solved it. I've never solved it. You know, unless you're with networks and something's definitely happening and they're willing, even then they're not that willing to spend the money. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? uh, I mean this company was happy to actually um do it really for kind of the exposure yeah for their equipment yeah but unfortunately yeah. it's it's everything else involved uh yeah. the fix of putting this together to get the right people involved the right yeah. crew uh do you right need permission boat. to do that in the lake as well i would need permission yeah, yeah. because obviously it's just powered and vehicle going into the okay. lake so it's in craft yeah yeah so you can imagine the logistics of this. It doesn't just happen overnight. It takes no. maybe four or five months. And then it's the case of what time of the year do you want to do this? No good doing it in the source time. Mm. What was great about my images taken was that the, the ferries were shut. There was mm. nobody using like it's February. It's cold. It's, uh, you know, it's not really the place they That's want to be. interesting. So the year, I mean, incidentally, uh, a canoeist who I photographed that day when I photographed what I saw on the lake, he was a little bit further down the lake, uh, going further, sorry, he would be going further south. Yeah. Yeah. Only about sort of uh, half a mile. But whatever I was seeing that day was heading towards him. And I was getting concerned at the, the canoeist. So when we jumped onto the, the boat with the lake warden to actually measure the boathouses 
uh, we actually went with a forensic uh, photographer as well. We were there in the area and all of a sudden we saw this red canoe and this guy with the, the, the same yellow yeah. jacket and we called him over and we told him all about it and he said, no, I, I didn't see anything that day. Within three weeks, he's had his, his own sighting. That wow. First thing in the morning, mist, we went down to go canoeing in the morning and just the lake was erupting only about 20, 30 foot out in front of him. So he went wow. and get his camera and I think him and his partner went and he went out towards it to try and get some kind of scale. But the photographs, unfortunately, we go back to mobile phone photographs. And from water level as well. I mean, yeah. you know, what are you going to get? Yeah, I, it's, it's a fascinating thing to me, uh, Linton. And I suppose in cryptozoology, being interested in it on an international scale for all the different cryptids these days, lake monsters is always my first love. That's always where it's been it's always where it comes back to for me and I could sit and I did sit for quite a long time at, at Lake Windermere as well and just look at the water for hours and hours and I know for some people it's like watching paint dry but for me it's just fascinating to to imagine what could be um just you know just beyond the the surface there and it's um yeah it's, it's just amazing and I'm I'm uh, I'm happy for you and also slightly green you got that that wonderful experience because you're now in that you cannot unsee what you have seen camp. And that's, um, there's a, you know, there's a, um, an area of surety in that, you know, I suppose. And, uh, yeah, you know, like fantastic. Some of the things which, uh, I, I've done, especially with this, um, and a case of being there at the right time with the right equipment, I suppose. Yeah. Um, like I just there wouldn't be a story here if there was a cloudy day or if there was a chop on the water or if I had a less of a camera or one of those instamatic cameras we wouldn't be talking it's just that everything seems yeah. to line that day um, so I, I'd like to make sure that your listeners know that if there's anybody out there who studies this mm. they're my images if they're going to be used for that purpose to actually study and analyze and make assessments they're freely available. All you need to do is contact me. Fantastic. And how should they do that? Where should they write to? What's the email address or the, the website? I mean, you have my email address. Okay. Um, I'll put it in the description as well. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. That's brilliant. Um, but yeah, they're, they're always, I'm, I'm fascinated to find out what people can actually find from these images because uh, there's a lot of information there. Um, but there's, like you, we've discussed, there's nothing on the spectrum which we can all uh, recognize that it's a known species yeah we we met up with mark carr the forensic guy after about two weeks and it was uh, a gentleman from the ecology center meeting us there to have a look at this now for the life of me i can't remember his name it's some while back now but he was the uh ian winfield that's uh -huh. just remember, ian winfield we met up with ian winfield uh at mark carr's studio now i turned a half an hour later than, than his uh, appointment i arrived there strangely i met ian winfield and the first thing i recognized he had a t-shirt weird fish which i thought uh, okay so good sign yeah, yeah exactly so we had a chat and i said well you've been here for half an hour you've had the lowdown and all the images yeah. what do you think and he said well I'm confident with Mark Carr's experience and his analysis. Hmm. And to my knowledge of 25 years, I don't recognize that animal in Lake Windermere and where it's come from. Awesome. Said, Do you mind if I get that in, in writing? <laughs> exactly. No problem at all. And I've got wow. that letter. Oh, wow. I Great. I, would, I really don't believe that's, you know, I think that's a first that you've actually got a, somebody who deals with science on that water to say yeah. that I'm baffled, it is what it is, but we don't recognise it. And as, yet, importantly as well, that's a scientific opinion. He's examined the evidence, he can't identify the creature, and that's what he's uh, attested to. And I think that's that's perfect. If it all worked that way, other than the confirmation bias way, then yeah. we'd be in a better position all round, you know? And, um, yeah, absolutely. What is interesting is that within a couple of months of doing the second interview, um, he called it a Neil. 
<laughs> so, Those pressures will come to bear eventually, I suppose. Yeah. So, yeah. And, um, I know what he said at the initial meeting and when the evidence yeah. was put in him and that he, he, he couldn't fathom what it was and why yeah. it should be there. He may I have been I, in a vulnerable position, I suppose, I and taking yeah. Yeah, I think he got a lot of flack. The implications, I think, are always very interesting. You know, you hear of people, um, one researcher, I won't go into it, on the Bigfoot side, told me that his faculty tried to have him removed from the university when he started studying Bigfoot, for example. And uh, the only thing that saved him is he already had tenure. They couldn't get rid of him. Right. (laughs) But if they could have, they would have. And there was certainly an effort. You have to think it's a strange thing, really. Like, if, and I, I, in some ways now, I've stopped calling it cryptozoology. In some ways, I've started calling it um, ethnonone zoology or, um, you know, hidden zoology or whatever, which I know it means the same thing, but to get rid of the reputation, because oftentimes from the ethnonone side, there's local stories like your experience and others yeah. or, you know, in far flung tribal places, there's a legend that's been going around for, for years and years and years. And then suddenly we turn up, you know, with our big heads and our, um, <laughs> you know, our, our egos of discovering the world and say, oh, yes, we've just discovered this new animal. They've known about it and they've been telling us sometimes for hundreds of years. And I think there's just a lot of animals out there like that, even in our environment. I was surprised to find out just two years ago, I think a new type of grass snake was discovered here in the UK. It's clearly always been here. They didn't realize it was a species. You know, there's a new pod of beaked whales they've just discovered. Um, It's not in California, though. I've got the detail here somewhere. But they thought they've never been discovered alive. They thought they no longer existed. There was some implication of them years ago. And yet there they are swimming around in pods of 15 and 20, 40 feet long hard to hide and yet yeah. we've got this perspective that because of google maps and the rest of it that we've actually seen all these places that so we know what's in them and we don't not even in britain most of the time we stay on the yeah. path we go for those walks we haven't explored all the waters and sometimes all the the empty places and who are we to say i suppose it doesn't make it true but it no, doesn't mean it, there's no room for it to be at the same time well, I mean, as a child, I mean, uh, I, I grew up with Arthur C. Clarke. Same. You know, so, yeah. uh, we uh, kind of, uh, we always imagine that the, the possibilities mm. and uh, I think the Yeti or the abominable snowman was a big thing at the time and talk of Bigfoot and the original black and white footage. Never did I imagine mm. <laughs> I'd be talking about a subject like this, to you know, still mm. today about yeah. this. Uh, so, yeah, in one respect, I do feel like I'm blessed for seeing some of this and experiencing this. Um, but if you used to jump on my social media, mm. you'll find no relevance to this at all. I, it serves me no purpose at all. I mean, I no. work back of my photography at what I do today. Of course, of course. And I, uh, I, I don't ha- certainly have any need to do anything. I mean, I do feel the need, I think, as anybody would, if they've had an experience like this, to try and uh, defend it if somebody's mm. going to come dick was like it's a swan or it's a, <sighs> because it, you know you're you in the keel to, uh, that's right you need to know the, yeah. the, the facts before uh, yeah. you know with a, 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 a rational idea um, so yeah uh, I think you'll run I think more will actually happen in, in the years to come um, but I, I spent a long time looking at the history of the lake as well mm. and uh, the tourist industry because the tourist industry late you know late district it's fairly new it's recent so mm. what was there before uh what is the history of lake windermere is there any traditions there has there any been sightings or past because you've got char fishermen on lake windermere so there's a whole thing there's a massive mm. of what you should do is actually interview these old boys to find out whether or not there is any stories of gold and, and the past or whether or not there is any legends um whether or not um, the lake constant has, has, has got a connection mm. uh, i mean somebody threw something at me all oh, years ago and said well what did donald campbell actually hit that day yeah and i thought well you know <laughs> 
after what I've seen in Eight Winter Mare, I can't rule out anything. You yeah. know, it's, anything could be possible here. Um, but yeah, I mean, with Oldswater at the moment, that's a big story at the moment. Oh, yes, that's right. There was apparently um, a film company making a film about the Joan Collins film that never was oh, in the area yeah. about the giant sea monster in Hillsborough or the giant beast right. and yeah. so there's been some implication perhaps um, that they're using a similar model to the original model that was used. Of course I did point out to that person that why would they be killing geese in the lake and if they're doing so for the filming you know it seems a bit extreme my, my money on, on that one is still on maybe a, a catfish or something, but because especially because of the sucking below the water, although, you know, a, a full-grown grey lag is, I mean, this is something quite big for any fish, but uh, it's, yeah, that's a, that's a confusing one. There are stories from the past. There are ferry sightings in the area. Of course, there's west water as well. There's, there's sightings there. Uh -huh. um, so I think the, the entire area seems to have some sort of a presence, you know, intermittent, uh, whatever that may be, but it does correlate actually with, with the outlets to the sea, you know, around these areas that there are sea serpent sightings there too, historically, and, and some more recent that seem to tie in with that. I think we're looking at an itinerant presence in and around the coasts and lakes, and maybe sometimes some of these creatures are the same ones that are spotted in other locales. Around the UK, possibly, yeah. possibly. I mean, they all the, the, some of the similarities. I mean, the, um, the, the the actual proximity of Lake Windermere to the sea is mm. pretty much like Lake Loch Ness. You know, mm. there's a lot of similarities there. Um, all these lakes are obviously ice age uh, made uh, and result of the ice age. Mm. Um, so they're all pretty much the same age. Um, the whole area was just an ice block. So uh, who knows? I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's a strange uh, to contemplate huge creatures in our lakes. Yeah, uh, it really is bizarre. Uh, it it, it is a bizarre idea if you think about it. If especially if it was, if it did turn out to be a prehistoric survivor type, that would be. I mean, no wonder people are skeptical about that. That would be an astonishing development. The first thing yeah. people say, why, why have we got no remains? Why has nothing yeah. been washed? Why is there no uh, concrete evidence? But I mean, having studied and looked into this, I mean, certain prehistoric uh, yeah. creatures used to swallow stones for balance. the same thing, yeah. Uh, the same nothing, thing. Nothing they find them in their fossils all the time, yeah. <laughs> Nothing floated to the surface. Yeah. Uh, it was too weighted down for that. Mm. Uh, just rotted on the bottom. So there is that theory. You know, I mean, it's, it's, for every uh, possibility, there's always an argument, to, you know. Uh, against yeah, there's that. lots of get out of jail free cards, you know, and I admit that many of them are, but some of the skeptical arguments are just as um, um, based upon plaus you know, a, a personal plausibility. It's something sure. that you, you add to it, like the Unikiel uh, theory. You know, essentially, that's just as remarkable as a prehistoric survivor. An eel that's 40 feet long and has a huge girth. I mean, it's, you know, that's a fantastic thing. If that exists, and that's just as big a discovery as the classic lake monster site. So it doesn't stand in as a good excuse. It stands in as a, an even more fantastical Exactly. explanation and oftentimes I, I mention this all the time that somebody a famous researcher once um who i really respect once said that they think perhaps nessie is um a giant mud skipper with a, a head a plesiosaur head and neck like lure and i my first reaction was how big are the fish it's trying to catch with that lure <laughs> that's what we should be looking for the prey they, these things must be huge and that doesn't, you know when we're making implausible excuses for what we don't want to believe in we don't think about whether it has to make sense it just has to discredit the other thing and be a better choice but sometimes these choices are you know another one was ghosts of dinosaurs that these are memories you know um stuck from the ancient past that are replaying it's not a bad theory actually the whole um the whole um, 
pinhole camera style recording for, for ghostly apparitions. You know, you would understand that. And perhaps yeah. an environment can can recreate those conditions to play almost a film of that was captured yeah, but- atmospherically. But like monsters, it's 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 even more fantastical than anything we could come up with as a natural explanation. So I stray away from those. It, it might be fantastical to think it's a pleasure saw, but I definitely don't think it's some sort of ghost, you know, trapped, no. <laughs> trapped I... in the uh, the pinhole camera environment of Lake Windermere. <laughs> I mean, I've heard lots of people's theories, and I find them entertaining. Whatever yeah. it is, is interesting. Um, yes. And I've always said, if it's a giant sturgeon, then it's a monster giant sturgeon. Mm. It's all the same. It's in there. It's large. And to be honest with you, I think for anybody who's interested, it's there to to, to yeah. be seen, to be photographed, and to be studied again. Yeah. Probably right times of the year when it's there's no tourist about, mm. and uh, you'd have a a fair chance of actually capturing this again on film, you know? Um, yeah. There seems to be a couple of deep spots in Lake Windermere, which that's the areas which it's been seen. Uh, Absolutely. Of, Absolutely. Um, I think we'll wrap this up there, Lenny, but I just want to say thank you so much. I've really oh, enjoyed picking your brain and getting your <laughs> feedback. Again, for anybody out there who's uh, listening, Lyndon's email to contact him will be in the description. And he said, you're welcome to um, email with, with the questions and sightings yeah. and anything else they can think of, even to request a viewing of the photographs to examine yeah, sure. and run your own yeah. tests on, um, which is, I, I've got some of those too, and I'm very grateful for them. Uh, Lyndon Adams, thank you so very much for joining welcome. us. Welcome. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Catch you later. Bye-bye. Thank you. Cheers now. Bye-bye.